0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Lyra. So this episode is going to be a little bit of everything. I'm going to start off with BC and their new football head coach being announced today, and that is Bill O'Brien will be the next head coach for Boston College Football. After that, I'll talk about the NFL and the Pro Bowl games from last weekend, which I honestly thought was a success. I thought it was actually pretty competitive and fun to watch. And then after that, I'll talk about the two hottest teams in the NHL and in the NBA, and that's the Edmonton Oilers and the Cleveland Cavaliers, both of them playing great hockey and basketball as of late. So let's start off with BC. In a surprise move, Jeff Halfley left Boston College last week as the head coach to become the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. I didn't expect Jeff Hafley to leave BC. I thought he'd be back for one more season. And I know he was on the hot seat. The season didn't really go that well for BC, even though it ended with a great bowl victory at the Fenway Bowl of SMU, a game nobody expected BC to win, but they found a way to win. That was an exciting one to be at. I was happy to see BC get the win at the end of the day. Didn't think that would be Jeff Hafley's last game for BC, but he was on the hot seat. This season didn't go really as planned for BC. And now with the opportunity to go to the NFL, he saw an opportunity to go coaching Green Bay, and he said, why not? And he's actually going to be coaching with this former linebacker and current Packer, Isaiah McDuffie, he's a linebacker there for the Green Bay Packers. Having last coached in the NFL from 2016 to 2018 with the San Francisco 49ers. He was a defensive backs coach back then for a few seasons in San Francisco. So his record at BC, he actually finished under 500. He was 22 and 26 at BC in four seasons. Had a 7 and 6 record this past year. Obviously that big bowl win over SMU. Ended up being a big reason people bought back into the program at the end of the season. But B.C. really didn't have everything going their way all year long. They started off the year on really a rough note. Losing to Northern Illinois, Billy beating Holy Cross. Then losing a close one to Florida State. That was an exciting game on September 16th. And then they lost to Louisville at Louisville by 28 points. That was a really rough game for B.C. Then they found a way to win five games in a row, beating Virginia, Army, Georgia Tech, UConn, Syracuse. Five great wins in a row. BC was really turning things around. They were both eligible, already with six wins. And then they lost their last three games of the year. And two of them were blowouts, losing to Virginia Tech at home by 26 points. And then they followed that up with a bad loss at Pittsburgh on a Thursday night, losing that game by eight points. Pitt really struggled this season. BC should have won that game. And the BC's last game of the season at home against Miami they lost by 25 points. So the last three games, two of them were blowouts and one of them was a loss to a bad Pittsburgh team. So BC ended the year on a really bad note, but they recovered with that big bowl win over SMU at Fenway Park, winning that game 23-14. to 14. Nobody really gave BC a chance in that game, and I think they excelled because of that. They really just took all the negative noise around them and turned that into motivation. They found a way to win that game. That was obviously a great win to end the season. But I think when you look at Jeff Halfway's career at BC, it was honestly disappointing to some degree. When he stepped on campus at BC, he really won the student body over. With his speech about getting into the program and buying in, he was telling the student body and telling all the fans around the country to get in with the program. That obviously won a lot of people over. People were excited for BC and ecstatic that Jeff Heffley got hired. I always thought at the end of the day, I want to be shown some results. I don't really care about where you're coming from at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if you're coming from a big Power 5 school like Ohio State or you're coming from a small D3 school. If you can find a way to win games as a head coach, That's most important at the end of the day. I know resumes are great and all when you look at where a guy comes from and what they did in the past, but I want to see results. That's what you want at the end of the day. And honestly, if you look at Jeff Hafley's tenure at BC, he wasn't really that great. Six and five in 2020, so average. Six and six in 2021, once again, average. Then he got a big extension through 2026, struggled in 2022, they were three and nine. And then this season, they were six and six in the regular season, and then won the bowl game to end the season seven and six. But BC had a really easy schedule this season. They were 76th out of 133 Division I programs this season in the FBS in strength of schedule. And they barely beat Holy Cross and lost to Northern Illinois. So that's honestly a disappointing season overall for BC. They should have had more wins considering their schedule. You shouldn't lose to Pittsburgh, and you shouldn't have lost to Northern Illinois. They should have been an 8-4 and team the regular season. It's as simple as that. They should have won more games. According to Peter Thamel of ESPN, Jeff Hafley wanted to go to a place where he could coach football again in a league that's all about football. Thamel added in that college coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team at transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. A lot of things that he went back to college for have disappeared. So that's the reasons that Jeff Hafley went from B.C. to Green Bay, according to Peter Thamel of ESPN. And one thing that I thinks right that Thamel put, I do think the transfer portal is a problem, and that's why Jeff Hafley wanted to leave B.C., I do think that's why he went to the NFL because there's no transfer portal in the NFL. I do think the transfer portal needs to be revised. There's no loyalty in college sports anymore. Guys are jumping in and out of the portal every single season. And I understand you want to go to a place where you can have more opportunities. But jumping place to place every single year, not only is it tough on the player that's jumping from place to place. It's an adjustment academically, obviously jumping into a new system and learning a new program. But it's also tough to recruit guys when you don't know if they're going to stay more than a season or not. And I think another thing is the conference realignment. That's been a mess. And I know it's because of money and that's why it's happening. But it's crazy to have Stanford and UCAL Berkeley flying to BC for games. I was at a track meet for BC a few weeks ago. And BC was there with some other local schools like Northeastern, UMaine, UNH, UConn. But then also the University of Arizona was there. UCAL Berkeley was there and Stanford was there. It doesn't really make much sense for them to have to fly all the way across the country for games for basketball and football and track and whatever else it may be. So that's definitely an issue in college football and obviously college sports in general. So I see why Jeff Halfley would want to leave BC and go to the NFL because the transfer portal is a mess. I think that needs to be revised. And I think the conference realignment has been a major issue. I know it's because of money at the end of the day, and that's why it's happening. And it started with teams wanting to jump to the SEC and the Big 12 because that's where they can make more money, like we saw with UCLA and USC leaving the Pac-12. And obviously, the Pac-12 is falling apart because of that. And as a result... College football is no longer being divided up based on geography. Now teams are flying all the way across country games every single weekend. And also, that's the end of some rivalries. The Pac-12, with some of those teams leaving the Pac-12 and going to different places, are they going to play each other again? Are the rivalries going to stay intact? Probably not. Also, I think there should be some sort of salary cap to keep competition in college football. Because when it comes to NIL, teams like FSU, Florida State, and Clemson, they can outspend teams like BC and Syracuse. And at the end of the day, they're going to get the better recruits anyways, typically even before NIL. But now with NIL involved, the teams in the deeper pockets are going to get the better players. So how do BC and Syracuse stay competitive? Maybe the Big 12 and the SEC adopt a limit on the amount of money you can spend in NIL, and maybe the ACC follow suit. Who knows? But that's another reason Jeff Hafley left BC. He did sign an extension through 2026, but I feel like he also knew he was on the hot seat after a 6-6 six and six regular season where BC had an easy schedule. And he probably said, I can go to the NFL right now and be a defensive coordinator. Why not go do so? So BC will be replacing Jeff Heffley with Bill O'Brien. Announced today, Bill O'Brien will be the new head coach for Boston College Football. He just signed a deal to be the Ohio State offensive coordinator just about a month ago. But he's already leaving there. He's going to be the head coach at BC. And I think the big reason that he's jumping over to BC is because he has ties to Massachusetts. He grew up in Massachusetts was already in the NFL coaching for the Patriots this past season as the offensive coordinator, was actually married at St. Ignatius Church at BC because his wife is a BC alum, so being able to go back to her alma mater and be able to coach, that's probably a dream come true for him. So I'm a big fan of this move, and I'm really hoping that he can get us back on track. BC is limited, though, by the NIL. It's hard to compete with the bigger programs like Clemson, UNC, and Florida State when they have more money to offer these players. But coaching is a big part of the game, and if you can get recruits to buy into the BC program, and buy into O'Brien and what he's doing at BC. That would be a big way for BC to turn things around if people buy into the program. And I'm thinking this is a great hire. I really am a big fan of this move. So I'm going to switch gears and talk about the NFL Pro Bowl games from last weekend. I think the NFL got it right with this year's Pro Bowl games. And I know it's just the Pro Bowl. I know probably most people didn't watch it and don't care about it much. But I really did enjoy watching the players just mess around and have fun. There were no injuries. It was all fun and games. And the last few Pro Bowls, before they changed the whole rules we were just atrocious to watch. Poor tackling, guys not trying to play, defense, there was no blocking. They had to change something. Because before, the defense wasn't trying to tackle the quarterback or make tackles at all. And the offensive line was really just standing around, just pretending to block. And the defense was just letting them block them. So they had to change something. And that's what they did the last few years. The last two seasons now, they did the Pro Bowl games. With Peyton Manning and Eli Manning coaching the AFC and NFC respectively. And that's been a fun storyline to watch. So I would have tuned in no matter what happened in these games, just because I love Eli, I love Peyton. Obviously great watching those guys in the Manning cast every single Monday Night Football game. So it was fun to watch. And the same results as last year. The NFC found a way to win a close game against the AFC, making big plays at the end. Which the NFC honestly dominated all of the skill challenges. The team skill challenges, that's the main reason the NFC won this. It made a big difference in the NFC getting the win because they really struggled in the flag football game. They had four turnovers to the AFC's zero turnovers in the Flake football game. That's a big difference maker. The AFC actually had one turnover, actually, on downs, fourth and goal, with the chance to maybe potentially win the game at the end. So I guess four turnovers to one turnover. But regardless, the AFC dominated the Flake football game for the most part, it seemed like. It went down to the wire, though, with chaos in the last 30 seconds. We had Eli Manning running onto the field to try to get a timeout for his defense before the fourth and goal play for the AFC. The NFC was up 64-59 to at that moment, 15 seconds left. Eli got the timeout, set the defense up, and then on fourth and goal, a great play by Jalen Johnson, a defensive back for the Bears, breaking up a pass from CJ Stroud to Keenan Allen. Would have been the game-winning touchdown, but Johnson found a way to get in there and break it up. Stroud did have Jamar Chase wide open on a great zig route on the left side of the field, but Jamar Chase was on the far side, and CJ had to make a decision before the pass clock was up. Ended up looking at Keenan Allen, throwing it into tough coverage, and that ended up being the game-winning play for the NFC. It was great seeing the NFC guys all celebrating together and storming onto the field. And credit to Eli Manning, he beat Peyton two years in a row, also beat Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl. And I know this is going to be a heavy topic of conversation over the next year. I know a lot of people are going to debate whether or not Eli Manning should be a Hall of Famer at this time next season, but Eli Manning should be a Hall of Famer. First ballot. I've said for a long time he deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Not only is he top 10 in passing yards in NFL history, he's top 10 in passing touchdowns and completions. And I know you can talk about his 500 record, but the Giants did not help him at all on the offensive line in his last seven to eight years with the team. He was a two-time Super Bowl MVP against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, beating an undefeated 18-0 Patriots team in the 2008 Super Bowl. So Eli Manning 100% deserves to be a 1st bat Hall of Famer. Regardless of his touchdown rings, he's top 10 in passing touchdowns, passing yards, and completions. And I know people will bring up the interceptions. I know people will bring up his record. But in the biggest games of his career, Eli Manning shined in those playoff runs. He was the best player on that field for the Giants in both of those Super Bowl runs, making big-time throws. Making that pass to Mario Manning game in 2012 was the most impressive throw I've ever seen in an NFL game in my life. Most impressive throw in any sport, I could say, honestly. Just the timing, the situation, the Patriots were in tight coverage. That throw was absolutely perfect. So I do think Eli Manning deserves to be a 1st bout Hall of Famer. I really do. So to get back to talking about the Pro Bowl, I think the NFL got it right with the Pro Bowl. I really do. The Pro Bowl games, that was what the NFL needed. I know it's only the Pro Bowl, but like I've said now a couple times, I really enjoyed watching it. I liked hearing all the players mic'd up for the most part, hearing Eli Manning, Peyton, Ray Lewis, Peyton's son telling Eli after the game that it was scripted by the refs. I thought that was pretty funny. It was a fun, engaging competition with no injuries, and it just came down to the guys having fun, just messing around and having fun. And what it really came down to at the end of the game the NFC really took advantage of all the team skill competitions. They dominated those and needed every single point. They were like trailing 32 to 15 at one point in the Flake football game, which it actually combined the Thursday competition scores with the Flake football game. And at one point in the Flake football game, the NFC was trailing like 32 to 15. But then they really dominated those skill competitions, like move the chains, the Madden head-to-head game, Puka Takua really went off in that one. The gridiron gauntlet they won. They won the best Catch. They won the tug of war. The tug of war wasn't even close. The NFC really dominated that as well. And Jason Kelsey was huge in the NFC's obstacle course comeback. There was an obstacle course, and Jason Kelsey made things a lot easier on Pene Sewell and Tristan Wirfs. He was on the sled that they had to push, and Kelsey was using his momentum to rock back and forth, and that definitely made it easier to be moved. And that ended up being a big reason they ended up winning. The NFC needed all those skill competition wins. So like I've said now, I know it was just the Pro Bowl, but I think the NFL got it right with the Pro Bowl games. I really do. So now I'm going to talk about the two hottest teams in the NHL and the NBA. We'll start off with the Orioles. They did lose their first game to the Vegas Knights after a 16-game win streak. That was actually their first loss since December 19th to the New York Islanders. They really turned the season around after a rough start. They had me a little bit worried at the beginning of the season because they were my prediction to win it all before the year began. But they really got hot over the last couple months. Their 16-game win streak was one shy of the NHL record of 17 straight wins. Before the win streak started, they were 13-15-1. They were below average, below 500. And before November 22nd, they were 5-12-1. They were 5-12-1 on November 22nd. Since November 22nd, the Edmonton Oilers are 24-4. They've completely flipped the switch. And Conor McDavid's a big reason for that. Just a special player. And even though he's not scoring as much as he has in years past, just 21 goals in the season... He does have nine points in his last four games. He has 21 goals in the season, 47 assists, and 68 points. He did battle some injuries as well. But this team has really turned things around. They're averaging 3.46 goals per game, which is fifth best in the NHL. They also have a 27% power play percentage, which is third best. It's really tough to stop Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid when they get going. And Dreisaitl's had a great season as well. 23 goals, 35 assists, 58 points. Edmonton's playing the best hockey in the NHL right now. And they're not getting enough credit. No one's really talking about the 24-4 record over the last couple months. But they are playing the best hockey, and they've looked great. They were my pick before the season began to win the Stanley Cup, and I'm still going to ride with them. I still believe that this team can make it. Obviously, defense has been a problem for them in years past, but with the way they've looked right now, momentum's really shifting their way, and they're playing great hockey. What it matters most towards the end of the season. They struggled at the beginning of the year, but they really turned things around. Another team that turned things around, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They've won 16 of their last 17 games. And most of those wins came without Evan Mobley and Darius Garland. Both of them have been battling injuries. But that hasn't stopped the Cleveland Cavaliers. And one question I want to ask is this. Why is Donovan Mitchell not getting enough respect as an MVP candidate right now? He's averaging 28.5 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists, shooting 36% from three. Heading into last night, in his previous 16 games, he was averaging 29.4 points per game, 5.2 rebounds, 7.3 assists, 1.8 1.8 steals, 3.6 threes made per game, and 37% shooting from three, with a plus 15.9 plus minus on average, which is great. He has been on an absolute mission, but he's not getting talked about enough. And the Cavs really are a team to fear in the East, in my eyes. I was very high on them heading into the season. I was very high on them last season as well. I would love to see this team make a run. I was honestly shocked they struggled last year against the Knicks. But in the last 17 games, Cleveland has beaten Milwaukee two out of three times. They've also beaten the Clippers, the Magic, and the Kings. One thing to note is this. They haven't really had that hot of a schedule besides those games I just mentioned. They beat San Antonio twice over that 17-game stretch. They beat Washington three times, Brooklyn twice, Detroit, and Memphis one time each. So they haven't had a crazy hot schedule, but when they've played those big teams like Milwaukee, like the Clippers, like the Kings, like the Magic, all good teams in the NBA this season, they've found ways to beat them all. And I know the Magic are struggling right now. They started the year harder than they're playing right now. But those are some quality wins right there for Cleveland. With that being said, even though they have had some easy games, like two against Brooklyn, three against Washington, two against San Antonio, it's still not easy to win 16 out of 17 games in the NBA. No matter who you're playing, no matter what sport you're playing, winning 16 of 17 games is not easy to do. You have to show up on a nightly basis, whether it's a back-to-back, whether you have injuries, whether you're having a tough game shooting the ball, you have to find a way to respond and win. If you win 16 of 17 games... You found a formula that works. And that's one thing I could say about this Cavs team. They're a team to fear in the East. Anyways, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.